Well, it's time once again for us to get back into God's Word. Uh, let's pray as we begin. Our Father in heaven, we are praying that your Spirit would come and illuminate this text that you have revealed. Lord, and may uh, excitement just sort of bubble up in us as we consider again you and your greatness and the glory of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of us who grew up attending church, many of us did, uh, no doubt we, we've heard the Palm Sunday story many times. Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, the people being very excited, throwing down palm branches, uh, throwing their cloaks down, shouts of acclamation, uh, the shouting of hosannas. We've heard the story many times. But have you ever asked the question, why? Why exactly did this celebration, this party atmosphere happen as Jesus rode that donkey into the city? Why such enthusiasm? What was the precise cause of this very unique celebration? Well, of course, the first place that we go in an attempt to find an answer to the why question uh, is to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We start with Mark. In Mark's account of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we just get details. We get details of what went down in the celebration. The cloaks, the branches being thrown down, the hosannas being shouted, but in Mark's gospel, there is no explicit answer to the why question, why the people celebrated with such marked enthusiasm. Well, maybe we will get our answer over in Matthew. Matthew does tell us uh, in his account, he tells us that the reason Jesus needed to ride into Jerusalem on the animal was to fulfill Zechariah 9. But again, Matthew doesn't tell us precisely why the people celebrated with such vigor, why they spread the cloaks and the branches in front of Jesus and shouted, Hosanna. We have no clear answer in Matthew as to why the Palm Sunday celebration happened. Well then, what about Luke? In Luke's account of the triumphal entry, we do get much closer to an answer as to why the celebration happened. In Luke 19, verse 37, Luke tells us that the reason why the whole multitude of Jesus' disciples celebrated in such a raucous way as, as Jesus strode into Jerusalem was because, he says, because of all the mighty works they had seen. There's a motivator for this party atmosphere around Jesus as he rides into the city on an animal. The people were partying because they'd seen Jesus perform mighty works, uh, presumably works of healing, especially. But we're not told specifics here about which works exactly that the people had in mind. Well, friends, finally, it's in the Gospel of John 
where we get our most explicit, specific answer as to why the Palm Sunday celebration happened. Now, a little background here. In John chapter 11, we have the staggering, and it is staggering, the staggering miracle where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Uh, that miracle, that sign, takes place at Bethany. And Bethany, according to John eleven eighteen, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. After raising Lazarus, Jesus then travels that two-mile distance to Jerusalem, where the triumphal entry happens. Let's pick it up at John 12, verse 12. The next day, and hear this phrase, uh, the next day, this, this refers to the day after Mary had anointed Jesus' feet at Bethany. Uh, that anointing of Jesus' feet happens right at the start of chapter 12. So the day after that anointing of Jesus' feet, the large crowd that had come to the feast, so they had come to the Passover feast, uh, this crowd that had come to the feast, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. We notice there that, like Matthew does, John also makes reference here to Zechariah 9. John wants us to know that. Jesus riding the donkey is in fulfillment of Zechariah 9. But still, this doesn't quite explain the reason for the party atmosphere. This is the question we've been asking. What's the reason? Well, let's keep reading. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And then we come to verses 17 and 18, which is where, at last, John tells us the explicit reason why this celebration on Palm Sunday was happening. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And then verse 18, listen. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. And the sign that John refers to here, of course, is the sign he's just mentioned in verse 17, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So, friends, the reason for the bombastic shouting, the reason for the palm branches and the cloaks and the hosannas on Palm Sunday was because the guy riding on the donkey had raised a dead person back to life. 
Again, verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign, this awesome thing where Lazarus had been raised from the dead had happened within history, right there in the region, and there had been a, an ancient Near Eastern tweet storm about this that had gone back and forth from Bethany to Jerusalem. Ancient Near Eastern social media, I don't know what they had back then, but it was blowing up. Uh, this man named Jesus had spoken words to a decaying corpse. And those words of Jesus had caused this dead man to come back to life. Everybody had to go out now and see this guy riding on this donkey. Who was this guy? I can imagine people being in the crowd there, jostling shoulders with one another, trying to get up close, trying to get the best view of this man on the donkey. If we can just get a glimpse of this person. The rumor is that, that this guy came from Nazareth. Did you hear that? If we can just get close, to, there he is. That's him, look. Now let's just take a pause for a moment to consider a little bit this miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus back to life. Just to get the wonder of it. Let's consider uh, John eleven seventeen first of all. According to John eleven seventeen, by the time Jesus arrived where Lazarus was, G uh, sorry, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Four days. It had been 96 hours since Lazarus's heart had beaten for its last time. And already, the body of Lazarus was well into decomposition. Now remember that Lazarus's sister Martha had been concerned about a foul odor if they were to remove the stone from Lazarus's tomb. Already, at the time of year when this miracle happened, temperatures in Israel could be up around 20 degrees Celsius, plenty of warmth to hasten the decomposition of a, of a dead person. So there was Lazarus in that tomb, bodily fluids now pooled, rigor mortis set in, his flesh discolored, turning purple, turning black, and the increasing bacteria in his body are producing this foul odor. And mark this well, the ears of Lazarus had been totally, utterly non-functional for four days. He's dead. Dead people can't hear anything whatsoever in their physical ears. Uh, you could have put a working jet engine next to the ears of Lazarus, and he would have remained completely unresponsive. But what happens? When Jesus cries with his voice, Lazarus, come out! Lazarus hears. Lazarus 
responds. Lazarus gets up and he comes out at the voice of Jesus. Lazarus is alive again. Now, now just get this. The voice of Jesus Christ broke through the impenetrable wall of death. And Lazarus heard Jesus, and Lazarus responded. No wonder the people shouted and rejoiced at the sight of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that donkey. This man from Nazareth had done the impossible. He had spoken a dead man back to life. And now everybody was out there trying to get a glimpse of this man. But now, friends, there's strong evidence to suggest that the Palm Sunday celebrants, these people who threw down their palm branches, shouted their hosannas, these people got it in one sense. They got it, but yet they didn't get it. What they got was the fact that this man on the donkey had power. After all, uh, he'd raised Lazarus with this very strange and fearsome power. They got that, but the evidence suggests that what they didn't quite get, what they didn't grasp, was the true and the full identity of this man on the donkey. They didn't quite understand that he was more than just a miracle worker who had this strange power. Well, what evidence am I talking about here? I want you to follow with me for a minute. About 200 years before the first coming of Jesus, there lived a Jewish man named Judas Maccabeus. Judas Maccabeus had led a successful revolt against a Gentile people group uh, who'd been occupying Israel at the time. Judas Maccabeus was, and he still is, something of a legend to the Jewish people. Hanukkah is the celebration of his victory. He's remembered even still as, as one of the greatest warriors and deliverers that the Jewish people have ever had. And many of the exploits of Judas Maccabeus are recorded in the books of Maccabees. These are important ancient Jewish writings, but they don't appear in our Bibles. Well, I want to read you just one verse in particular from 2 Maccabees chapter 10. This was written about 100 BC or so, so many years before Jesus came. Uh, this verse is written in the context of Judas Maccabeus recovering the Jewish temple and cleansing that temple as they had had victory over their occupiers. The verse reads, they bore branches and fair bows, and palms also, and sang psalms unto him that had given them good success in cleansing his place. Now, does that sound familiar? Notice there the mention of branches and palms. Uh, these things were offered in the context here of this verse of a military victory. The branches and palms were given because of the victory in war that the Jewish people had experienced. Well, could it be that so many years later, 
as Jesus Christ rode into, into Jerusalem with palm branches, uh, branches being thrown down, could it be that the people were thinking, here he is. This guy on that donkey is the new Judas Maccabeus. He's our new military deliverer. He's clearly demonstrated his power by raising Lazarus back to life. And with that kind of power, surely he can free us from our Roman occupiers. You have to wonder if the crowds that day merely understood Jesus as the new military leader. Strong, they hoped, to deliver them from the Romans. And so down went their palm branches and up went their hosannas. They got it. Jesus had power, but they didn't get it. They didn't fully perceive the true identity, the full identity of the man on the donkey. And this leads us to our closing question today, and it's a question for me as much as it is a question for you. The question is, how do you understand Jesus? How do you perceive him? How do I perceive him? What is our perception of Jesus? Do we have a thoroughgoing comprehension of who he is? Do we have clear vision of him, full vision of him? Well, we might say, of course, we know that Jesus is much more than a miracle worker. Uh, we also know that he was not, in fact, the kind of military deliverer that many first century Jewish people uh, were expecting. We know that. But again, the question, friends, is, is our perception of Jesus a full perception? Is it a biblical uh, perception, a true perception? Do we have the large vision of Jesus that Scripture has and that Scripture gives us? When we look at the man on the donkey, do we see that he is God in the flesh come to take back his creation from the grip of the unholy trinity called sin, death, and the devil? Do we see him that way? Do we understand that Jesus is the God-man whose miracles, in fact, were a hard punch in the jaw of that unholy trinity of sin, death, and the devil? Do we see the kingdom come personally in the man on the donkey. Who is this man who spoke to a dead man and the dead man got up? Do you know him as Savior? As the one who only days after riding the donkey would go to the cross on Golgotha and die there as the substitute for you? Do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as the one whose death is the payment for your debt of sin? Have you received the forgiveness of God that is found only in Jesus Christ? And do you know him as the risen Lord? Are you following him? Are you seeking to obey him, to obey his commands, and to do that out of the joy of being found in him? 
What is your perception of Jesus Christ? Who is he to you? Well, when Jesus came on that first Palm Sunday, he came lowly. He came humble, meek, riding on a borrowed little donkey. On Palm Sunday, he came peaceably. He was about to go to the cross within the city limits of Jerusalem, and he was about to make peace on the cross between God and sinners. He came peaceably. And here's the thing, friends. Right now, you and I, we are still in peacetime where getting right with God is concerned. There is still time for sinful people, for each and every one of us to receive the one and only Savior that God has sent, the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. There's still time for us to take the one riding on the donkey as Lord over our lives. There is still time. But time, you need to know this, time will one day run out. It will elapse. Either you will die or Jesus will come back a second time. When Jesus comes back, as John Piper has so vividly pointed out, Jesus will not be riding on a donkey. At his second coming, he will be riding a horse and he will be dressed for war. The second coming of the risen, conquering Christ is described for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. It says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The time, my friend, for you to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is now in peacetime so that you will have the assurance of being eternally secure. When his sudden return happens, it will surely be too late. So turn from your sin, turn to Christ in faith, pray God's forgiveness of your sin, trust Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, your righteousness, your King, and your High Priest, and be delivered this very day from God's wrath, from the power of death, and from the dominion of sin. And then go live your life 
in union with Jesus, loving God and loving your neighbor. Live for Jesus with great enthusiasm. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for Jesus Christ, for his coming into Jerusalem peaceably so that he could go to the cross and make peace between yourself and sinners. We thank you for your plan of salvation. We thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, for anyone watching today who has not received you, that they would do that now and that they would come into relationship, right relationship with you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.